This is Looking Forward, conversations about the future of work. Brought to you by Miller Knoll. Hey, listeners. Today we talk with Craig Robinson, the Chief Growth Officer at flexible workspace provider Industrious. I've known Craig for a few years now, but I knew of him and his impact on the commercial real estate world well before that. In our conversation today, Craig brings his insights to not only explain what's happening with the growth of flexible workspace, but he provides us his perspective on how we can navigate the ambiguity of the future of work with humility, embracing a learning mindset, focusing on people, and ultimately finding the true value that workspace can offer. Enjoy this conversation with Craig Robinson. Hey, Craig, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm thrilled to have you. Um, Tell us a little bit about you and what you do at Industrious. Well, again, first and foremost, thanks for having me on, and it's good to be with you and your your audience. Uh, I'm the Chief Growth Officer with Industrious. I, I hope you've heard of us. Uh, we're, we're one of the most exciting, fastest growing, highest rated uh, flex workplace providers, and we're, we're operating here in the U.S. and across Europe and, and APAC. We had some exciting news uh, not too many weeks ago where we made an acquisition of Welcome in Meraki and in Europe and uh, the great rooms in APAC. And so we're excited to um, continue expanding and growing to service uh, both small, mid-sized businesses as well as global enterprises. And I'm responsible for all of our sales, marketing, business development, and all things, quote unquote, growth related. Part of being on the executive team, you know, I have the fun of helping, you know, us think about our you know, strategy and our direction as a company more broadly. And so uh, so that's what I do nine to five. I've known you for a little while. I think I've known about you for much longer because you've had really a fascinating career, particularly in the world of commercial real estate. But do you mind painting a little bit of a picture for how you got from the early stages of your career to where you're at now? Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for saying that. I, I, I really, what I heard you say is I'm old. <laughs> like if you, <laughs> if you do something long enough, eventually you'll do one or two things good along the way. And, and I oftentimes, you know, when, when you hear about someone's story and their biography, it just seems like it was just perfect walk in the park. And, and, and it's so easy to draw a straight line through a scatter plot, but mine has been anything but that, but I'll, I'll tell you the clean version. You know, I really have been in the kind of the commercial real estate space for over 20 years and started my career in technology and then transitioned in real estate. And most of that time, it's really been in the real estate services space, commercial corporate real estate outsourcing with firms that you'd know, like, you know, Trammell Crow CBRE and, you know, Colliers and Newark, Newmark and all, and, and all the others. And, and, and really have had a lot of fun, you know, kind of helping to build and scale and, and do exciting thing in, in, in kind of the real estate services space. And then really just over the past few years um, became really excited about, about where I thought the industry was headed and, and, and having, you know, been a division CEO and president at a few of the large brokerage companies, I really thought it'd be great to take what I'd seen and learn and really kind of the analog, you know, kind of era and apply it to, you know, kind of companies and business models as that we're trying to do things really different, which really brought me to prop tech and, and let's just call it, you know, more specifically flex in the case of what I do in my operating role. I do sit on a few boards and, and kind of advise a few prop tech companies. Uh, but, you know, it, it really is an interesting thing when I think about myself as a Gen Xer. Uh, I sit between two really um, interesting generations and, and kind of demographic profiles that everyone studies. No one really cares about the Xers, but, but we kind of sit in between like the old guard of the boomers who 
who really have um, largely, um, you know, kind of been responsible for a lot of the growth we've seen in our industry. And then there's this kind of the millennials and the younger people who are kind of coming along um, and, and really changing things and, and challenging business models. And so as an exer, I kind of feel like I sit in between them. I've kind of spent half my life and career kind of learning and, and kind of, you know, kind of practicing my, my craft um, and, and some of the traditional things. And now I spend a lot of my time thinking about where the hockey puck is going and, and, and how can I support people and industries and businesses and, and people like Jamie Hadari, he's the founder and CEO of, of Industrious, to really take advantage of some really fundamental and exciting changes in our industry as it relates to how we think about the built environment and how we think about the future of work. And so, yeah, that's my my story. And uh, and uh, it's been quite the ride and I still have a little bit more left of me to go. <laughs> that's good. Well, I definitely want to talk about those changes, but knowing that some of our listeners might come from the world of human resources or, or IT, do you mind defining prop tech? Uh, that's a term that we got into a little bit in season one, but some of our listeners might not know what that means. Yeah, absolutely. Prop meaning property and technology, meaning technology. But I think it's really just a shorthand for really any and all things that are kind of innovation related as it as it relates to not just property, to be honest with you. It really relates to all the things that encompass and house and enable and support, you know, work and, and the supply chains and the systems and the providers who kind of, you know, all kind of play into that. Uh, but there has been really over the past, call it 10, maybe 15 years, a lot of capital, a lot of, you know, entrepreneurs who've been looking at our, you know, kind of ecosystem and saying, gee, there's just a lot of things that we could be doing better uh, and problems that we've solved in like healthcare and financial services and other industries where the technology has been proven, the business models have been proven. And, and it just makes sense to now come and say like, wow, we could do this thing very differently in commercial real estate or in to be in, in workplace more broadly. And I do think workplace is the intersection of real estate, IT, and HR. There really isn't, I, although we're talking about PropTech, this technology and this innovation really applies to not only folks who kind of traditionally had commercial real estate careers, but also people who had traditional HR careers and technology, you know, kind of related careers. And so everyone is now kind of being called to task to say, how do you support and enable distributed work? Which is a, there's a technology answer to that. There's a nature policy answer to that. There's a real estate component to that. And so I really see a, the fusion of, you know, these kind of discrete, you know, trades and functions now, now being kind of called to kind of really solution really a much broader set of needs. And so the the innovation that I'm excited about sits right there at the nexus of all of those players. Mm-hmm. And guess what? This is not just a, a support function kind of thing. This is really, you know, things that CEOs and board directors are thinking about. And so it's a really exciting time to be sitting at that that nexus. I'm glad you brought up distributed working. I, I think often about the fact that work has been spreading out. It's been getting more distributed since Wi-Fi came around. I think the pandemic and, and our focus on remote working was a reset for a lot of organizations and realizing the technological possibilities of working in a variety of locations. I'm not sure most have fully reconciled or even begun to reconcile what a more digital approach to working means to the spaces that they're in. I know you've got a tremendous network within the real estate world. What are you hearing? What challenges are you sensing that organizations have top of mind at this point in time? 
Yeah, that's just a it's a really exciting time with not a lot of historical data to really draw meaningful insights. I think the world has kind of pivoted in a way that um, is creating a lot of opportunities for people who are nimble and progressive in their thinking and open minded and regularly taking their pulse in terms of like where things are are headed. And it's going to be really nerve wracking and, and and disruptive for people who are still waiting for the old data sets to make sense again. Like, well, this is the way we've done things. And this is the way we manage people. And this is the way we hire people. And this is the way we house people. This is the way we plan our businesses. And I, and I think the uncertainty and the volatility is given rise to um, an increased demand for optionality and flexibility, not just in terms of your commitment to space, but your commitment to the way in which you organize around customers and the way you distribute information. So I'll just say kind of at a really macro meta level, there's just a lot of change. And I think part of what, you know, I am seeing a lot of organizations do is become, you know, students. I mean, like if you're, if you're an organization that's learning how to learn and, and how to learn from your customers and learn from the people you want to employ and, and have a feedback loop that allows you to incorporate some of those insights. I think these are the companies that are, you know, regardless of what their policy is on a certain topic or issue, I think they're coming at it from a place that's probably more informed and more intentional um, versus, you know, being purely reactive and kind of just waiting to see what everyone else does, um, which is why I think you could have companies see the exact same issue and come up with different policies, different tools, different approaches, um, which I think is totally fine. There is not a right answer. And I don't even want to be a person who says, hey, I've gone up to the mountaintops, come back with stone tablets, and here's the answer. That's not the case. Here's what we're seeing. So here's some of the things that I would tell you I'm seeing. Um, one is it relates to the evolving future, because I don't think the future is an absolute discrete thing that we've kind of pinpointed. But I think the the, the kind of the general direction of where we see things moving is that um, one companies are you know going to be quote unquote forced to to really support a a more dynamic hybrid you know kind of set of options for the employees that they want to attract and retain and these employees and this talent they're going to want optionality in terms of where they work how they work when they work um, and they want that work to really you know, matter and to align with their values and their purposes. So it's not just work. People are coming and generally looking for more things out of their companies than they did before. But the part of the equation that we support was how do we help companies, you know, provide optionality, not just optionality in terms of where they work, but the different modes of work that they might do inside of a space, different work types and different spaces. And, you know, some of the you know, research that we've done just in surveying our own members who come, you know, thousands of people who come in and out of our spaces every single day is they're telling us, hey, you know, generally speaking, I'm going to decide when I come into the office. And when I come into the office, it's going to generally be, you know, probably two to three times a week. And it's going to be when I need to meet with people, collaborate, um, you know, build relationships, build trust, do all of those things that are really, really hard to do digitally. And there still is a really important role for physical proximity in space, but it's going to be a lot more intentional when I come into space and the things I'm going to need from that space in order to facilitate the things that I want to accomplish. Number two, people generally, whether it's retail, whether it's hospitality, whether it's uh, or the office, when they come in, they're really looking for an experience. People could do work at home in their dining room table. It may not be the most productive environment, but it actually is not that I need a space to do work. I need a space that facilitates what I'm trying to do. And I also want spaces that give me an experience. And so being very thoughtful about that, I think that is a big, um, you know, kind of direction in terms of where things are going. And then I think the third 
is at a company leadership level, I think our planning cycles and horizons are getting shorter. There's more uncertainty. You know, are we headed to a recession? Like, is there another, you know, kind of strain of COVID? I mean, like, we don't know, right? And so how can we as an organization embed and incorporate more options in, in all that we do, more agility, more flexibility? And I think that is going to be a theme that just, you know, cascades not only throughout the way we think about real estate in the built environment, but really all aspects of the business. And so I think for those of us who are excited and learning and, and, and listening and embracing that, I think this is going to be a great opportunity for break up, breakout moments. And I think for those of us who are a little bit more like, I don't know, and maybe this is going to go away. I'm going to put my head. I think that's going to be a problematic seat to sit in. This emphasis on first embracing being a learning organization feels so right to me. I'm going to butcher this, but there's this really old quote from a German philosopher. I think it was Schopenhauer that said something to the equivalent of the goal isn't to see what nobody else has seen. The goal is to think what nobody else is thinking about that, what everyone is seeing. And I do think we're all staring at this. What you're saying makes sense. Let's first agree that we're going to be on a journey. We're going to learn. We're going to prototype. I love the focus on optionality. It also made me think a little bit about the focus on intersectionality within the DE&I community. Because I think from a real estate standpoint, there's always been this focus on wanting to categorize workers as this or that for the purposes Mm -hmm. of occupancy planning, not realizing that the criteria that might go into a decision on where someone will work on a given day goes way beyond your job function. Mm-hmm. It's, it's all aspects of who you are and what your life might entail. Hey, friends, we'll get back to our episode in just a moment. But first, I want to take this opportunity to let you know that Looking Forward is part of Surround, a podcast network curated by Sandow Design Group. Surround brings together some of the best architecture and design-driven audio content available. So if you like what you hear from us, visit surroundpodcasts.com and check out some of the other great shows on the network. I want to ask a little bit about about the spaces you provide. And in particular, I have heard over the last, gosh, I think I've been looking at co-working for almost 15 years now. The terms co-working and flexible workspace often used interchangeably. You and I both uh, did did a little stint at WeWork. So um, we, we have a little bit of shared heritage there. How do you describe what it is that Industrious is doing and what's the difference between those concepts? Yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, and, 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 the, and the truth of the matter is the vocabulary and the overall taxonomy of our, our ecosystem of, of, you know, kind of flex is evolving. Um, and, and, and some people who, not like yourself and I, who live and breathe the stuff every single day, you kind of check in and check out. You don't keep up with just the evolving kind of way in which we think about this space. But, but you're absolutely right. I think at the highest level, when I think about um, flexibility, I think about flexibility in terms of, choice um, in terms of, you know, where where I work, right? So do I work inside of a building that's provided to me by my my company? Do I work in a, a building that's shared with other companies? Do I work in my home? Do I work? And so largely, we're talking about an ecosystem of choices. And then as you and I are talking about, when I come into a, a building, um, what are the different types of spaces that I might need? And, and it used to be that, to your point, I largely had a job and that job was considered, you know, uh, more or less highly correlated with a certain type of work uh, and nature of work that was highly correlated with a space type. And I was assigned a space type based on me working in HR or me working in whatever. And the reality is we now know that people over the course of a day might need, you know, 
three, four, five, six different types of work spaces, spaces to convene, spaces to host, spaces to like heads down, spaces to like have, you know, small meetings. And like, and so having different types of space types inside of, um, you, you know, even a single location is flexibility. And then I think about, you know, kind of the way in which we package and sell these space types. We generally, you know, people have kind of said, you know, co-working is, you know, kind of a, you know, shorthand for just, you know, kind of shared co, you know, working space, which oftentimes was, you know, kind of highly correlated with open plan environments or, you know, um, or shared, you know, but private offices. I think the the way we think of our product set and SKUs are, you know, there are, you know, really different sizes of team, you know, kind of configurations. You may have a person who's coming in for just a day for a few hours who's doing kind of traditional hot desking and, and would use what we would call an access pass. I just need the access to the space for a few days a week or a few days a month. And that would just be kind of on demand. Then you kind of have, you know, what we call private offices, you know, which a private office generally could be for one person, for two people, for three people, however many people needed to access that space, but it would be private and secure. And then what we have is for larger teams, typically over 15 or 20 plus, you start getting into what we call suites. And, and, and that generally then kind of connotes a different type of programming and, you know, and, and different, you know, kind of things that we would, you know, put in that space and teams of that size would expect. But broadly speaking, all of it is just in the broader service of options and flexibility. I need options and flexibility to have on demand, maybe a team, you know, that starts off with one or two people, but scales to 10 or 15, and then maybe over to, you know, a team of 100. And then one of the last ways that we've been really seeing um, kind of the taxonomy expand is this kind of idea of core and flex. Like we have organizations who will, in the same building, have a five, seven, 10 year lease where for parts of their business where they've got a lot of certainty and a lot of kind of predictability, but then not know whether or not, um, you know, that need is going to grow or contract or expand. And so providing flexibility around, you know, kind of a core commitment. So we can come in sometimes and provide flexibility along someone's like long-term commitment where they have the ability to have a suite or private office adjacent to their lease. And so that is also to, you know, kind of the way in which our SKU set is evolving. And I think the key for us is just to continue iterating and providing, you know, more options for people to use space in the way that makes sense for them. And I think that all falls under their umbrella to flex. And that's the way we think about it. Um, outsourcing your flex needs to, you know, folks like us. And um, and hopefully people start thinking of it that way versus just, you know, co-working. Yeah, well, I think it's this last part that you just described that a lot of people don't even know exists, that there's this opportunities, not just for individuals or small startups, but for large organizations to determine that part of their real estate portfolio will not be committed to long-term leases, because we know it's been a hindrance in the past. There's certainly parts of Asia where we've seen shorter lease terms, but Mm -hmm. it wasn't too long ago that the standard lease term in places like Dublin was 15 years. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine trying to figure out what to do with a small growing team in in a market like that, where I'd have to commit 
to that long term mm -hmm. of situation. And it reminds me a little bit just on a personal level, uh, as somebody who loves to travel, like we've never doubled down on a cottage, even though I live in Michigan, we live near Lake Michigan. I want that flexibility to go someplace different every year. Mm -hmm. And so making that commitment to a space for a rapidly changing workforce, including a workforce that seems to be migrating as a result of more distributed working feels um, like a commitment a lot of organizations wouldn't want to make at this time. You know, it's interesting. There, there, there seems to be generally three, you know, kind of buckets um, or, or call it use cases driving the adoption of, of, of Flex. One is an organization is scaling really, really fast and, and they're hiring a bunch of people. Um, they're trying to move into a market really quickly because they see an opportunity to launch a new product or new business. And I think post-COVID, which has really dislocated a lot of incumbents, has given an opportunity for companies to say, wow, this thing is really taken off and we want to spin up a business and we want to launch a new concept or a product or we want to recruit and access talent that we don't have. And so speed to market and agility um, is important. And in that use case, a lot of times you don't know how something is going to perform. You don't know if this is going to grow 50%, 100%, 300% or not be there in two years. And so that's one of the big use cases that's supporting and driving flex. The next use case is like there are companies like you and I just talked about that, hey, I made a 15-year commitment wow, the world has changed, my business has changed, employees are not even coming into the space, and I don't need the space anymore. I need to figure out how to like I get out of these big commitments. And if the lease is rolling, maybe I just need something smaller, but I don't really even know how much I need. I just need less of it. Um, and if I can continue to like whittle down my footprint, I will or distribute that footprint. And so there's organizations that are expanding, those that are contracting. And then the third is a really interesting use case, which is those who... Maybe you're doing one of the two, but they're really looking for space to do something strategic for them. Like, man, if we're going to really attract or retain a certain type of talent, our space has to really show up differently. Um, you know, we would love for our brand to really be reflected and our values to be reflected in our space. And if you walk into our space today, you don't see anything that even remotely resembles the kind of company we want to be. And so we we want to burden our built environment with doing things in a more experiential more inspirational, more aspirational. And so those are really fun customers to like work with because, you know, you have permission to like really invest in things that for many years, real estate was a cost of goods sold and people figure out how to spend less and less and less and less on it. But now people are saying, actually, I want to be efficient with my spend, but I really just want that spend to do more for me. And that's exciting because now I'm buying value versus cost. But in either way, people are either looking to, you know, uh, create lots of agility in terms of speed and scale, looking to be really, really efficient with their footprint and or looking for real estate to do something really different. And and all of those are kind of use cases that we see driving our business. And I'm sure, you know, the flex industry more broadly. What you just described, I think, is maybe one of the things that I've observed held flex back in, in, in the past, where if an organization does have that kind of core and flex mindset, we know that organizations often want to invest in their core space, maybe it's their headquarters or whatever, in a way that really reflects their culture, their aspirations. It feels like the sort of spaces that were available, say, five, 10 years ago were either so vanilla and so cheap that you didn't really want to put your people there or so strongly branded by the provider that it didn't feel like it reflected your organizational culture. How do you navigate that with clients who want to use a space, but they also want it to feel somewhat like it's them? Yeah, it's a great point. And, you know, you and I have been around long enough to have heard some of those 
those complaints. And, um, you know, I, I think it's a difficult line to walk between having a repeatable, scalable product with, you know, the need and desire for people to have something that is really bespoke and highly tailored to their, you know, unique operating environments. And and so I think what we've tried to do is really try to, one, give organizations enough options to really make sure that the, the look and feel and the brand, it's clearly your space and you want your employees to walk in and feel like this is our space. And the underlying kind of economic agreement underlining that space is it really irrelevant, right? Um, you know, but at the same time, really being able to do something uh, repeatable and scalable such that the cost is, you know, really makes sense for that organization. And I think we, we try to walk that line between giving people choice so that it does feel like it is a part of their ecosystem um, and not our ecosystem. It's not our brand. It's your brand. Um, and there are ways in which we do that. Obviously, it's their branding. They have the option to pick some of their furniture, you know, having things kind of integrated digitally with their spaces. And so there are ways in which you can do that. While at the same time, when you go into an industrious, there's a certain kind of standard. Um, there's a certain there's certain things that you're going to see. And I think customers also want that. They want to know that there's some kind of predictability in terms of the experience I'm going to get with you. And I'll just say, you know, there are going to be folks who want something fast and cheap and there's nothing wrong with that. And there are providers who do that really well. And there are going to be those who want something that is, you know, highly serviced and great quality space. And it may cost a little bit more, but people really see the value in that. And and, and we want to be able to support those guys as well. But I think it's a, a really good point. Are we in the outsourcing business or are we in the product business? Are we in the services business or are we in the product business? And I think there's a healthy tension between those two things. But no matter what we do, we just need to be in service of what the, the overall customer demand is. And to your point, they want space that feels like it's, you know, really tailored for their their needs and their uses. And at the same time, you know, you know affordable, cost effective and agile. As that Gen X bridge, by the way, I am one as well. Sometimes <laughs> I wasn't going to call you out on that. <laughs> <laughs> Knowing that you've seen a lot, but you're also looking forward a lot, if you had to maybe get past this current era of contentiousness over return to office or so all the headlines around hybrid and think five, seven, ten years out, what excites you or concerns you about the ways we'll be working down the path? You know, it's interesting as I, as I get older, you know, you're supposed to be wiser. You're supposed to know more. And uh, theoretically, you've accumulated a body of knowledge that just makes you kind of the, the Plato and Socrates or whatever it is. And, and the reality is I'm actually finding it just be the opposite. The, the, the older I get, the more I realize I don't know. The, you know, the more experiences I have, the more curious I am. And, and one of the things that I have found is that I love to read and I love to read particularly books about human nature and organizational behavior and history. And some of the things I kind of tease together, it's just like, it turns out that we're horrible predictors of the future. <laughs> I can remember back before there was Flex, it was AWS, Alternative Workplace and or Alternative Workplace Solutions, and and which was which was largely about desk sharing and things like that. And, and there was a scenario, I remember some research back in the early 2000s, you know, that said, hey, we're going to go from 300 square feet per person to 275 to 200 to 150. And eventually there won't be any square feet per person. Like eventually we're going to go to nothing. And and, and people predict at the end of office um, a decade ago. And it turns out that that's not happened. Um, <laughs> we've been wrong. We've been consistently wrong. Um, and, and what has happened actually is that we actually probably use more space. We just use it really differently hmm. and we use it in ways that people found it hard to imagine and predict uh, on average. 
And so what I would just say is what I'm super excited about is the humility that I think we're bringing to different scenarios. And with that humility comes like, okay, I know, you know, the Rumsfeld, like I, I know what I don't know. I know, <laughs> I know what I know. I know what I don't know. I don't know what I don't know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so how can I um, incorporate enough optionality um, such that I have, you know, lots of different ways in which the future could play out that I'm prepared for. And I think about that in my, you know, role at Industrious. I think about that in terms of my, you know, my customers. And I think about that is just in terms of a philosophy. Like, how can we be excited about the future, but humble to the idea that I don't know what that future looks like? Mm-hmm. But I have, you know, kind of paid for a number of options that give me permission to participate in a very exciting way, no matter what happens. And so I think that's what's really exciting to me. It's just, uh, you know, enjoying the ride and with knowing that I don't know the destination. I love that approach. You're making me think a little bit about a quote that I lean on a lot from futurist Paul Sappho, which is Mm -hmm. never mistake a clear view for a short distance. Now I would agree. Uh, Often we don't have the clear view, but I I happen to be reading what was a a report on work from home uh, and its challenges and what was needed to better support it that Herm Miller did in the late nineties. I picked this up a couple of weeks ago and was reminded like, Oh, there was some things that that team didn't know, but I think we all sometimes think this stuff is maybe happening faster than it is, even mm-hmm. when we have a point of view on it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, let me ask you this as we move towards a close. Given what you've done and what you've seen throughout the world of real estate, if just hypothetically you found yourself going and starting a business outside the industry, you were doing something totally different, and you had the chance to design your own workplace strategy, what would you do? Like, What kind of spaces would you create? What would this, what would this feel like? Oh wow, that's a that's a really good question. Um, I think the kit kit of parts and the components of whatever it is would be. I'd have a lot of choices over the course of the day, over the course of a week, or course of the month. It'd be highly experiential, uh, meaning that workspace would make me feel a certain way. And then I think the things that I would love is that. Uh, this space would really allow me to connect and, and and build community with the people that I work with and I collaborate with and I serve. And because I think at the end of the day, the human, the homo sapien just needs a few kind of basic things. And one of them is a sense of belonging, uh, the need to be a part of a community. And I think that would be a really, really important kind of like foundational element. The second thing is the need to really feel like I have purpose and there's an, an intention. And so like a lot of what I would want to like imbue in my work environment would be this sense of purpose. And the third would be the ability to really foster and, and accelerate growth. I think those are things that we really need as, as, as humans. And I would want that in my space because I'm an exer. I always imagine that there will be some physical element to all of that and that we'll, you'll need to actually be in proximity. Uh, but that's, that's, you know, I think those are the things that would really get me excited. I love it. Craig, I'm super thankful you've chosen to spend some time with us and our listeners and share your insights. Appreciate you being on the podcast, my friend. Oh, thank you for having me. Look forward to coming back again sometime.